Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. In today's episode, we're discussing a topic that has been on mind for employees all over Ireland in recent weeks. Today, we're discussing pension auto-enrollment. And to take a closer look at this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by our very own Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very good, Owen. And you? All good. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. How are you keeping? All good. All good. Brilliant. So we'll, we'll jump right in. So I'll come to yourself first, Liam. So if you can kind of set the scene for us. So before these new changes come in, uh, I suppose, what's the current kind of legislation around pensions here in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the context and, and background on is this discussion in the whole area of, of pensions. You know, we certainly couldn't be accused of, of rushing into anything. Auto enrollment has, has been discussed on and off for the last 25 years. Um, I think back in, in 2014, um, the OECD was talking about auto enrollment as a potential solution for the poor level of, of coverage of, of, you know, personal or private pensions. and and you know, the research would indicate that less than one in two people are covered by within the Republic of Ireland by an occupational uh, pension. And so in, in terms of, of legislation, um, there's no legislation currently obliging an employer to, I suppose, set up uh, an occupational pension for an employee. What legislation does require is cu- currently is that an employer would facilitate a, a PRSA. Um, so it doesn't require an employer to, to contribute into the PRSA or the personal retirement savings account of the employee, um, but it requires the employer to facilitate payroll deductions on behalf of the employee. Um, so we have a long-standing issue in terms of pension coverage. Um, we have an aging population. So our demographic is aging. Um, which means that there's going to be much more of a demand in terms of the, the, the pension pot uh, as the years go on. And I suppose what, what the government is, is trying to do is, is address the fact that we've been an outlier in, in European terms. And I suppose various you know um, political parties have kicked the can down the road in terms of you know deferring an auto-enrollment process. And I suppose finally we're coming to the realization that this is something as a society we have to address. And I suppose in a, in a legislative framework, it's bringing in legislation which would bring in an auto enrollment system. So I think after 2024, that if you're a, 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 an employee operating the private sector and you're not covered by, covered by a pension that your employer uh, would automatically enroll you in a pension um, as part of your employment and there'd be contributions from the state, from the employer and from the employee. Um, and the other thing to mention, I think, in the context is the whole area of retirement. 
And the, the legislation a number of years ago, the Miscellaneous Provisions Act, basically, you know, got rid of the statutory retirement age. So as we live longer and we're, we're healthier and we're, we're living longer, um, people's working lives are going on for, for longer. And some people from, you know, physical well-being and a mental and emotional point of view want to work beyond what would have been a traditional retirement age of 65. Um, essentially, the Miscellaneous Provisions Act basically did require that any any retirement age would be required to be justified on an objective and social viewpoint, i.e. that an employer couldn't simply put in 65 into everyone's contract, but would be required to justify from a social and, and um, um, from a social and objective point of view, a reasonable retirement age. Um, and again, a lot of the the advice around retirement would have been to push up the, the, the state pension age. And there's been a lot of wrangling among the parties in terms of that. So I suppose what we're looking at now is essentially a long overdue um, process whereby there would be some legal and obligatory um, auto-enrollment process where an employer would essentially be obligated. And I think we've all known this in the private sector for, for a long time, that it's coming, that employers would be required, one, to, to set up and enroll an employee in, a, in a, a pension, and two, that there would be some sort of mandatory contribution on behalf of the employer. Absolutely. So I think I'm just kind of, I suppose, Liam's kind of touched on it there, Mary, but I suppose what changes are coming like i i know as someone who was kind of alerted to all the kind of pension talk and would, would love if it was just as easy as possible i suppose what are they what, in, a, in kind of a in short what exact changes are kind of coming and what can we kind of look forward to as employees the first point which is important is that it's not here yet okay and i think there is always a little bit of confusion when something hits the media and the government announces that they're putting in place the design of the scheme okay so what ultimately is likely to happen is that um employees will eventually be required to contribute six percent of their gross earnings to a pension scheme and the employer will have to match that contribution but that's over a 10-year period so in terms of the contribution and when it's introduced we're likely next year to see a contribution of 1.5 percent from the employee which is matched by 1.5 percent from the employer and the state will also make a contribution too um, and over a 10-year period that will ultimately rise to 6% contribution from the employee, uh, which is capped at a 6% contribution for, for the employer, I think equating to about €4,500 uh, in the sixth year from the employer contribution perspective. Um, from So it starts, I guess, next year um, and the contribution will increase by 1.5% every three years. Um, so if it's introduced next year as planned, then by 2032 or three, you can be expecting that 6% contribution will be there. So 
you know, I think from the employer perspective, there are concerns about this because, you know, as it's implemented next year at 1.5%, that is in an effect going to feel like for employees who don't want to contribute uh, a 1.5% pay cut, uh, even though it's ultimately saving for their future. Um, all employees are going to be automatically enrolled on joining the organization. So many of the occupational pension schemes that we have out there at the moment have usually a six month waiting period for somebody to complete their probationary period, whereas the auto enrollment will be an immediate um, enrollment. And the employee will have the option of opting out of the uh, auto enrollment. But again, um, the employer will be obliged by law to enroll them again uh, in, in a period of time, whether that's two or three years um, from the time that they opt out of the scheme. So it really is something that is you know, going to come into effect. And I think employers probably need to prepare their employees for the fact that irrespective of whether they want it or not, 1.5% of their gross earnings will be contributed towards the pension scheme. Um, and that may create some bit of hardship for people, particularly um, at the lower levels of um, salary. So the auto enrollment is going to apply from 20,000 euro onwards. Um, and, you know, if you think about 1.5% reduction in the take home pay, um, that may not be all that popular. But it is what it is. Uh, we're not going to have a choice about it. And it is really about pension adequacy for the future. I think, as you said there, Mary, the key point there is obviously it hasn't come in yet, but from what we know so far, that's it definitely seems like a lot of good detail and hopefully we can we've set the context pretty well there for people listening and they can understand a little bit more so i think just on mary's last point there liam i suppose what's the goal of what's the end goal what why are we bringing these changes to to pensions but why are we bringing in auto enrollment the goal is probably a couple of things to, to prevent hardship for many employees on when they come to their mid-60s and they transition from a private sector salary and the money is going into your account every week or every month to being essentially entirely dependent on, on the state pension. And I, I think that's a transition that many people in the private sector have found quite challenging because um, as we live longer, you know, our financial demands on us, um, you know, we'll still have financial demands. This is, many people have longer mortgages, they're living longer, they still have a certain cost of income, uh, a cost of living. And, you know, the, the rate of inflation has been very well mentioned in terms of rising energy costs, etc. So I think the goal is to try and, particularly at a younger age, and get more people into the habit of paying into a pension so that it will come naturally and then they'll be automatically enrolled. And certainly in the UK, who are a few years ahead of us, the auto-enrollment has, has worked quite well. While there have been people who have exited it, um, the majority of people have stayed in it because essentially, like a lot of things, you get used to paying. You know, you get used to the, the deduction and you kind of think after a while, well, you know, I may as well uh, try and plan for my, my future well-being. So it's very much, in my view, 
an initiative to take the pressure off people when they come to a certain age from a financial viewpoint, but also to take the pressure off the state pension in that there would be some um, sort of um, recalibration of people don't have a state, people don't have their own private pension, so therefore they access, access the state pension at a certain age and point. Um, so we're aging as a society, not surprisingly, if I think the, I, I looked at something, I think it's either 2030 or 2050, there's going to be over 50% of our population over a certain age, so therefore the demands on the pension pot um, are greater. So it's a scheme to try and get us as a society, greater pension coverage, um, greater payments into pension as we go through our working career from in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, um, so that the demands on the pension scheme um, or the, the state pension scheme are lessened by the contributions that are made. And essentially that, I suppose, we're reaching out to employees in the private sector particularly, um, where in all the research, it would appear about 50% of people are not covered by their own um, personal pension, that we're reaching out to those people and offering, I suppose, a state contribution, an employer contribution, but also an employee contribution so that there's a shared contribution among the, the, the three parties and that people would have a reasonable retirement income when they come, when they come to retire. That, that, that's essentially the, the, the goal behind it. But I would agree with Mary, there's an awful lot of questions, there's a lot of queries, there's a lot of teasing out to be done. And, you know, it's interesting, this has been kicking around for 25 years. So while there's a design and there's a plan, you know, we know how things can change and things can still shocks to the system and things can get kicked down the road. So um, I would suspect there'll be a lot of toing and froing before things are, are finally enshrined in, in legislation. Definitely, and I think it, it's a big change. It's obviously a positive change from from an employee perspective. But I suppose, again, as you said earlier, when there is any big change like this to do with anything with the employment kind of relationship, I suppose the big question for many of our listeners will be how will this affect me as an employer? So, Mary, I suppose how can employers kind of prepare for this coming down the road? I know we've obviously had the twenty five years, as Liam said, but only when it comes to fruition can we really prepare. So, what can they do to to get ready? Yeah. So. Again, it's it's um, it's not in place yet, so we we don't know all the detail. But it's very likely that um, auto enrolment contributions would be con collected by the employer and transferred to an auto enrolment central processing authority. So. Firstly and foremost, are your, are your uh, payroll systems updated for auto enrollment and a lot of the um, payroll providers out there will be automatically do that. Um, you know, we do have the uh, revenue commissioners pay real-time real system um, that payroll systems have had to implement since the start of 2019. So it's probably going to be somewhat similar, um, but obviously it's something that employers will need to be thinking about. Um, again, you know, it, it will be legislation. So employers will be required by law to implement auto enrollment and it isn't optional for them to do so. And therefore, there um, may be claims that an employee can make against the employer if that doesn't happen 
as soon as the legislation comes into effect and auto enrollment comes into effect. Um, you always have to look at your uh, employee contract templates um, and ensure that they're updated to describe auto enrollment provisions and the opt out provisions that are there um, for employees. You probably need to update your orientation and your induction processes as well to include them. And then, you know, really, you've got to start budgeting. Uh, for the fact that from next year, you're likely to have a 1.5% um, contribution to make uh, on behalf of your employees. There will be administrative cost, there will be actual cost in terms of um, payments, and um, you really probably need to start budgeting for that and planning for it. Um, we don't know the date, the time when this will actually come into effect. But if we're to follow uh, the UK model, that's how it's likely to look. Um, so I, I guess it's really um, also, you know, managing employee expectations, making sure that they're aware of what's likely to happen once that 1.5% pay caught in effect actually takes place and I say it like that uh, you know a lot of people might not agree with me when I describe it as a potential pay cut but if you step into the shoes of a uh, low paid employee who's living hand to mouth um, from week to week or from month to month um, and they may not yet be even thinking about pension given their age or the demographic uh, of your organization, uh, it may not be all that popular. Over time, everybody will get used to it, but always with the introduction uh, of things like this, you will, you will have some kickback from employees themselves if they're not part of um, an occupational pension scheme. And also I think it's important to remember if there is an occupational pension scheme already in place, which is better uh, than the auto enrollment pension scheme. Uh, you know, it may not be so easy to opt out of that and engage in auto enrollment instead. Yeah, I think it's probably another piece to it as well, Mary, in the sense that I think with a lot of things like this, I suppose this one in particular, pension auto enrollment, is kind of shared. The experts within the organization tend to be finance, payroll, HR, but a lot of HR people will get fielded questions on this, won't they? So I think there's a bit there about really reading up, getting used to what's coming and getting kind of being the expert because you will get questions on it, I suppose, Mary, won't you? Oh, without a doubt. And look, you know, whether or not when the scheme comes into effect, uh, whether, you know, smaller employers will have to auto enroll immediately or whether it will be applied to larger organizations first followed by smaller organizations we don't really know that yet um but like everything employer costs are increasing all the time uh, there's ongoing legislation and change in terms of legislation We're very much an employee rights based culture in Ireland um, and for a lot of employers out there you know they do struggle with these kind of changes um, because it adds cost onto their business, both in terms of administration and salary costs. Um, and 
you know, fielding queries then when they don't have all the answers themselves. And I think there's always this difficult period. And right now we've got quite a lot of uh, change. You know, we've got gender pay gap reporting uh, with the first reports due in at the end of the year. We've got um, statutory sick pay. We've got uh, auto enrollment and pension schemes. We've got the right to request remote work. We've got changes to the probationary periods. From an employer perspective, there's quite a lot of change. Um, and certainly our client base are coming to us, you know, in a bit of a quandary. Should we should we update our contracts now? Should we update our employment handbooks now? You know, are we ready to make all these changes? And as we always say to people, you know, you have to prepare yourself and you have to put in place your policies and procedures, but really reviewing. Uh, these documents every year is becoming more and more necessary because of the sheer volume of change that occurs in the employment relationship every single year. Um, and it's something that, um, you know, our clients are raising questions about and, and probably feel a little bit bombarded by the level of change that's happening out there. And so as always, a shout out to HR people because often these things happen and, you know, the next thing you have the CEO or the executive team or somebody asking you what's happening, what are we to do, how are we to prepare for this um, and, you know, is somebody really not having the answers? Uh, and it can be a little bit stressful trying to find the information out there. Um, so hopefully this podcast will help. That's it. And I think, I suppose, and not to be putting more on the plate of HR people out there and, and leaders and that kind of stuff, but I suppose a lot of time in this podcast, Mary, we, we kind of talk about one thing, but we also speak about how it kind of touches on other things. So I suppose, Lee, you might be kind of asking yourself, I suppose, to kind of, it might, it might sound like, I suppose, kind of a, a slightly broader question, but I suppose because although this pension order enrollment is kind of a state-driven initiative, it's it's something that is, is kind of state-run and that kind of stuff, it does fall under that kind of pay and benefits pool of things, doesn't it? So I suppose, is this yet another change? Is this yet another reason for employers to step back and say, actually, we need to take a look at our entire kind of benefits and pay package here because you have things like the war for talent, you have things like retention, that kind of stuff. So it probably is another one of those triggers, Liam, for people to, to kind of look back and say, look, what are we actually offering here as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think employers are doing that because they're required and to, to do it anyway on. Um, so I think the, the whole area of, of pay and reward and, and pensions um, is part of that. Um, I mean, I, I agree with what Mary said, you know, the HR department could be forgiven for feeling overwhelmed in terms of, you know, statutory sick pay, you know, wage inflation, you know, rising energy costs, I employers looking to work some days from home because they don't want to drive from A to B because of the rising diesel costs or petrol costs, uh, add into that potential auto enrollment from a pension point of view. So, um there's a lot for hr practitioners and and hr departments to deal with i think all all i suppose i can advise is that you know the war for talent is is definitely back one of the biggest challenges for for employers at the minute is actually retaining staff 
and recruiting suitably qualified staff. So I think they have to look at this as a potential opportunity and maybe something to try and get ahead of the curve on in terms of their offering. Many organizations are you know, putting a lot of work into employee uh, wellness, um, promoting the, the physical and mental and emotional well-being of their employees. A lot of organizations have gone into looking and providing supports to employees from a financial well-being point of view. And that could be maybe a tax review um, with an organization that could be maybe giving offering, you know, a free one-to-one with a qualified financial advisor who will give advice and support maybe in relation to pensions and a wide range of products. So I think, you know, the relationship between the employer and the employee, it just seems to have expanded and expanded and expanded and gone into areas which five, 10 years ago, we would never have thought of. We would never have thought we'd be here talking about, well, what sort of, you know, ergonomically fitted chair and table does an employee need to sit at at home? Because five to 10 years, they won't be sitting at home because they'll be in head office. Um, So more and more, I think, is being demanded of the employer in terms of the employee-employer relationship. And I think it's just another thing that, that an employer will have to deal with and deal with successfully if they want to recruit and retain and keep employees happy um, and well-rewarded. And I think it's there is a cost to it. There's going to be a cost to it. But I'd look at it in a positive sense since it's a long-term investment in your employee. And I think if you're investing in your employee, typically you get that investment back over many years. Um, So I think Mary's absolutely spot on in terms of employers are gonna have to sit down, they're gonna have to budget, they're gonna have to plan. And one more that when Mary was was talking, one word I wrote, wrote down was the whole area of communications. I think that's going to be incredibly important because like Mary has alluded to, if an employee has got used to, um, you know, a, a net pay of X, well, if there's going to be a change to that, employers are going to have to communicate, okay, well, with the planned investment, here's what it, your net pay used to be, here's what it's going to be when, when this comes in, because employees are going to be able need to plan for that. So I think there's an element of planning, budgeting, and then thinking about as well, what's your communication strategy going to be? Because the more communication you can give at an earlier stage, the better informed the employee, the better positioned and the better able the employee is, is to cope with the change that's coming down the line. You know, it's funny as well. I think that, you know, things that organizations have traditionally competed on, um, you know, in terms of the range of benefits that they're providing. Well, where are we now when everybody's offering remote and hybrid? Where are we now when everybody's offering flexibility, when there will be pensions, sick pay, all of those things? It's really going to have to um, be at an employer level, something that they really consider because, you know, if everybody's getting a contribution of 6%, um, you know, over a 10-year period, well, some will rush there early to get their arms around talent and make sure that the talent don't go elsewhere. Uh, Others won't be in the financial position to do that. Um, And again, it it will be another reason why some organizations do better than others. So it's it's like everything, whether it's auto enrollment or um, remote work options or um, sick pay schemes, 
you know, the world of work is fundamentally shifting and changing. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is all about the employee at this point in time, what the employee wants and needs, not just in the short term, but for their long term future, their long term health and well-being, their long term financial stability. Um, and there's greater and greater obligations all the time from an employer perspective in those areas. Uh, and it is difficult to get your head around. It's difficult to keep up to speed, um, you know, as organizations like ourselves who spend every day you know making sure we're up to speed on what's changing in the world of work there's a hell of a lot um you know we have to do regular briefing sessions with our team on right this is happening this week this is happening next week this is happening this year um because we have had loads of announcements in 2022 we had them in 2021 um you know, and, and they're going to keep coming, thick and fast, um, you know, because that's the way in which the world of work is changing. I, I look forward to a little bit of stability at some point soon where uh, we know what we're doing and we can just, you know, be sure that nothing major is changing again soon. Yes. So now we wait, I suppose, and see what the final product is. So I think, and as Liam says there, while we do wait, start planning, start reading up, start getting getting up to date with, with things going on because obviously that to-do list is, is pretty big. So so don't, I suppose, waste time waiting for it to, to come around where we can get prepped and ready in, in the meantime. So look, hopefully that helped everyone with the with the, the pension order enrollment um, progress that's happening now and we will obviously see what happens. So thank you, Mary and Liam, for a very practical and, and helpful discussion there, even as someone who would have been quite separate to all this kind of stuff, I've, I definitely feel a bit more up to date on it. So, so thank you very much. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and, of course, join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Liam. Thank you. All. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.